Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emigan Awardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. My guest on this episode of the podcast is Emma Story Gordon. She is an online coach and educator whose health and fitness content on Instagram is genuinely some of the best I've seen. It's evidence-based, well-researched and presented in a way that makes sometimes complex data incredibly accessible. But I think the thing I appreciate most about Emma's content is that she presents it with such compassion and freely admits that the most complex thing in health and specifically diet and fitness is that in principle, weight loss, for example, is simple, but it's not easy. Not easy at all. And with every post, she hopes to make it a little easier. And don't we all know it? I know it. And if you've ever been on a diet or thrown yourself into a fitness regime to reach a goal, only to find yourself back where you started not too long after reaching it, then you will be acutely aware of how frustrating that vicious cycle is. And what Emma does is acknowledge all the things that might work against us and work around them, through them, sometimes under them, to get you where you want to be. Obviously, this episode discusses weight loss as a goal, and I know that that can be triggering for some people, but I also know this is the kind of conversation that can be helpful for a lot of people. Most of my DMs are about motivation, weight loss, and relationships with food and exercise, so I feel I feel it's appropriate for me to create these kinds of episodes, and I also will only bring them to you if I think that the person I'm bringing to you is safe, sensible, and will add value. And that's what I really, really believe with Emma. I also believe that Emma, and you'll hear this from uh, listening to her yourself in the episode, she's so measured, sensible, and factual in what she presents that for anyone who, like me, enjoys clear information, 
she really is one of the best resources I could share with you. And you know how I feel about you. You're my most excellent listeners. I wouldn't ever do you wrong. I honestly think she's fantastic. So during our conversation, we discuss a lot, everything from tapping into motivation, the many myths out there about health and weight loss and fitness, because there there are many and they are all incredibly unhelpful. The huge middle ground between diet culture and anti-diet culture, why changing your mindset is always a better goal than a weight or a cloth size. The benefits of delayed gratification, that is very interesting and is definitely one that has stayed with me. Why it's a myth that watching what you eat and going to the gym is joyless. Why consistency, 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 consistency is the most vital component to achieving your goals, whether it's to do with health or fitness or not, to be honest, and so, so much more. As someone who spent nearly 30 years yo-yo dieting and trying one weight loss fad after another, the biggest shift for me was realizing that how I lived when I wasn't on a diet and when I wasn't on some big fitness kick that need, was what needed to be addressed, the time when I wasn't trying to do something. And Emma puts this perfectly in the episode when she says, the process is your life. I love that. I might even get it put on a t-shirt. I was so pleased to chat to Emma and I'm so delighted to bring her to the Emma Gunn Show and I hope you get as much out of this conversation as I did. And of course, the links to where you can find her will be in the show notes. But for now, please join me in welcoming Emma Story Gordon onto the Emma Gunn Show. Welcome to the podcast, Emma Story Gordon. How are you? I am very well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to have you on the show because you are an online coach and educator And I started following you on Instagram not too long ago. And I genuinely think that of all of the accounts that I follow that covers fitness and nutrition, yours is the one that I appreciate the most. Wow, that's a huge compliment. Thank you very much. I, I, because I feel as though you present facts with compassion Okay, well, I'm glad because that is the, sorry if I seem slightly distracted, I'm just making sure I'm recording my audio, which I am. <laughs> okay, continue. Um, yeah, I think that's the approach I want to take. Like it's scientific facts, but mm-hmm. it's so much of coaching and helping people make changes is understanding that more about human behavior and our own biases and our own thought processes than necessarily these are the facts, go and do them. Like Mm -hmm. that's like the baseline level, but it's then how do you get people to actually stick to those things? Because realistically, most people kind of know what to do. Most people have probably accepted after an initial period of time, maybe figuring out nutrition that, yeah, if I want to lose body fat, I need to move more and eat less. Mm -hmm. But it's so it's simple, but it's not easy. Like the principle is simple, but in especially in our environment, like that's not always an easy thing to do. Yeah, I talked to my friend Terry about this the whole time and we both like, it, the principle is easy, the science is easy, just eat less, do some exercise. But actually, if you say that, but it, it's it's implementing, it's actually living that, that's the t- tough thing. And actually, I'm sure you've had this, even if you say move more, eat less, that can generate quite a reaction. And I know I've spoken online before and people have said, thank you for talking about, for example, in my case uh, talking about emotional eating and they've said thank you for talking about that it's not just as simple as move more eat less and my response is always "Ah, the frustrating thing about (laughs) move more eat less is that once you get over your emotional issue that does work yeah yeah no no no. like I think you're completely right that when someone's like it's not that it's not that easy I'm like yeah it's not that easy but it is that simple Mm -hmm. and that kind of takes the barrier away for people so yeah there, there are loads of reasons that we eat that have nothing to do with the fuels that our body needs 
And so dealing with them can be really, really tough. But the same principle is true. Like energy balance still holds true. Mm. It's just, yeah, putting that into practice can be pretty, pretty hard to do. It's so tough. And I think another thing is that there's just so much noise. And again, this is another reason why I really appreciate your content because, and I think you might have said this on DM, there's a massive middle ground between diet culture and anti-diet. And I really wanted to unpick what you meant by that, actually, because that for me is where it gets so, so muddy. And I I really struggle to see the wood from the trees. Yeah, so I think, yeah, there's a huge push for anti-diet in some areas of I guess like kind of outside of fitness and that's the notion that you know dieting will cause eating disorders or a poor mental health state and approached from the wrong angles it can do and Mm. it can be a very negative thing but and I would agree with the anti-diet message around your typical diet culture diets like stick to 600 calories a day never eat carbs like don't eat at certain times like give yourself huge amounts of restriction that's unhealthy. Mm. And if you're doing it from a place of like hating your body as well and trying to hate yourself into change, that is a really negative place to be. But what I think, and this is what I mean about the huge middle ground is that some people do this because they love doing it and actually not storing too much body fat and not having metabolic complications of that and and prioritizing your health is a form of like self-love, self-respect, like actually you're caring for your body. And if you think about it in terms of how you would nurture a child like you wouldn't let your kid just sit in all day watching tv and eating crisps on the couch no so like one sort of cue that I sometimes give is like no one's coming to do it for you you need to parent yourself as if you were someone that you love and I think so many of us are really quite horrible to ourselves and that our own self-talk is so negative that we are trying to hate ourselves into change and as soon as you flip that round and you're like, no, I'm doing this, like I'm eating well because I love myself and I love my body and I deserve to feel my best. That changes everything. Even the language that you use for yourself. So instead of being on a diet and telling yourself that you need to stick to this certain diet or you need to go to the gym or you can't have that because you're on a diet, that's only ever going to be short term because as soon as you tell yourself you can't have something, all you can think about is I really want to have that. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of working against yourself. Whereas just this simple flip of I get to go for a walk today or I get to go to the gym or I'm doing this because I know it will make me feel better or I'm choosing not to have that extra piece of cake now and it's my choice because I've got a goal at the moment and my goal is to lose some body fat and just trying to take away the emotion from that like the way that I talk about body fat and coaching as well is more you have some excess energy like that's all it is there's some excess energy there and there's so much emotion uh, involved in the word fat or being fat or calling yourself fat or calling someone else fat and actually you know it's just some extra energy you've eaten a bit more energy than what you needed mm-hmm. there's no shame in that there's no guilt in that you don't need to make a big deal out of it and now we're going to expend some of that extra energy if you want to lose body fat like it can be as simple as that and that kind of takes away all of the stigma around it and I know it's not quite that simple to take away all weight stigma but it it makes it like yeah it's a it's a step in the right direction right and really like I'm not I'm not a huge campaigner I know that I'm not going to change weight stigma for everyone that's not my place in what I do but if I can change the way people view themselves my clients view themselves Mm. and the language they use about themselves like that's that's my goal really 
It's so interesting. You said uh, just a minute ago about don't hate yourself into change. And it's almost, as you say, flip the vocabulary to love yourself into change. But it's funny, isn't it? There's almost sort of an honor in that. I mean, I I really like Gillian Michaels, but she definitely is like a bit of a drill sergeant. Like she will come over. I'm doing one of her DVDs at the moment. And she kind of, she really hazes some of these people. But I quite enjoy that. But it's taking it's taking that kind of caricature way of, being a sergeant major and actually without without it becoming beating yourself up is what I mean like there used to be a big thing in the 80s I think in early 90s about training under that kind of the harder you work the, the more yeah. do you, the you more want it, it hard enough yeah. yeah and all this kind of stuff which I think actually for some people can be quite motivating mm. but it's really like deep down like why are you doing these things and I think sometimes like in an exercise session it is quite motivating to have someone shout at you a little bit <laughs> but you still it it shouldn't be from I guess the crux of it like I'm exercising because I hate my body and the way it looks and more I'm exercising because I want to see the amazing things my body can do like that's exciting and I really try and move clients away as well from thinking of exercise as a way to lose weight or to burn calories and more of like a celebration of what you can do building the muscle like I don't know, setting yourself goals, setting PBs, achieving things that you didn't think were possible. And the amount of confidence that you will get from doing that, that translates to all areas of your life is incredible. Mm -hmm. Like it it seems silly, but if you're going from, oh, I started a program and I couldn't even do one push up, And by the end I could do 10. And I've never been able to do anything like that with my body before. Like it's incredible. The confidence that like translates into the rest of your life from doing something hard is amazing. And this is actually what I was going to ask you, because before we came on, you were talking about how your weights fluctuated throughout your life. This is slightly different, but did you, and you said how you could almost tell where you were emotionally at different stages of your life. Were you heavier or lighter when you were feeling like at your worst or like when your emotions were higher? Um, heavier when yeah. when things weren't necessarily going as well although there was one particular period where I, where it was flipped so because I was just desperately unhappy I did really restrict myself um but that was only one particular instance but yeah it was a reflection of it was eating feelings it was yeah. I can't cope with the world so I will comfort myself with this bakery good <laughs> yeah and I think that's so common and this is why I wanted to bring it up and then people relate being lighter or you might have a certain weight where you're like oh that's my like some people call this their happy weight like Mm -hmm. that's where I'm happiest and actually it has nothing to do with your weight obviously it's it's kind of everything else that's going on so it's like this reverse correlation that people get wrong they're like right if I don't feel great I'm just going to diet because I know that when I weigh 65 kilograms I feel really good when actually it's it's almost the opposite of what's Mm -hmm. happening so what's really happening is because you feel good you're looking after yourself it's so much easier to eat well to exercise to go out for walks to just generally take care of yourself when you feel good so it's probably because you're feeling good that you're taking care of yourself that you weigh less Mm. rather than how most people attribute it which is you know I when I weighed this weight I was happy and I think the problem with that is dieting is often used as a scapegoat for other things that are going on so you're like I'm, I'm really unhappy because x y and z and I have loads of stresses in my life 
do you know what's easier than dealing with all of that dealing with all my emotions is just to diet because mm-hmm. actually reaching 65 kilograms is easier than dealing with an unhappy relationship or unhappy workplace or <clears throat> whatever other stresses you have in your life so I think the reason why you're dieting is quite important in terms of dieting in a healthy way and kind of coming back to that anti-diet message and the notion that like all diets are bad a lot of it depends on why you're actually dieting it's it's a really good point actually and when I think about it you just saying that it makes me think that previously when I had dieted it was it was because because I don't want to be bad anymore because I don't want to get bullied anymore um and then it would be because if I'm thin life will be better like all of those sort of ridiculous things and when I actually got my head together is when I just basically like stood in the bathroom in front of the mirror and just went you are not going to do this when you're 50 sort yourself out and it was it was for the first time I guess what I'm trying to say by that it was it was the long game it was thinking about this isn't just about now this isn't about looking good in an outfit this is about not wanting to have complications or not wanting basically wanting to do the best for myself to future proof myself as best I can and I knew that I knew that shifting some weight would help that yeah and I think like that's incredible And I think everyone deep down knows that, but it's so hard to do something for your future self, right? Because realistically, everyone probably does things now that they know that they'll regret when they're older, like habits, like whether that's smoking, drinking a little bit too much, being a little bit overweight, not exercising as much as they should, all these things. And it's one of the reasons it's so hard is that psychologists have shown that you see your future self as a stranger. So again, like if you take it out of the that context and you think about how much people don't really like investing in their pensions and things like that, it, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, well, you know, it's very hard to actually, if you try and envision yourself retiring, I'm like, well, I don't know that person. Like <laughs> they'll, they'll deal with the fact that I never paid into my pension. And it, it's kind of the same with your health. It's like, oh, well, I can't really even imagine being old. And you're like, well, yeah, it, it's a hard mindset to get into, like, will I regret this when I'm older? Mm. But one of the best ways to make decisions is that kind of formula, like regret minimization. You've probably Mm. spoken about this before, like Jeff Mm. Bezos, didn't he sort of make that famous? Uh, I don't actually, uh, I've just been, as soon as you say Jeff Bezos, I just think about that maniacal laugh as he's outside his space shuttle. Um, (laughs) I hadn't heard about that, but that regret minimization is a great way of thinking about things. Just do I want to regret this in the future? That was, I think, I mean, that's maybe where I just first read it, but his whole thing, wait, was it Jeff Bezos? Yeah, I think his whole thing about when he started Amazon. Am I talking about the right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so his whole thing was, he was about to get, um, I think he had some high paying job in New York and he was about to get his like yearly bonus. But instead of staying on for that short-term goal, like that short-term temptation of most people would be like, well, I'll just wait a couple of months and then I'll leave after my bonus. Mm. But realistically, there'll always be something. This is the same sort of thing as why people don't start fat loss goals or, or like start a new lifestyle or a diet plan or something or really anything. They're like, well, you know, actually, I've got a couple of birthdays coming up in the next couple of weeks. So I'll start after that. And then at that point, oh well actually my kids are off school now so I'll, I'll start mm-hmm. when they get back to school there's always always a reason not to do something and I think that so the way he looks at it is okay when I'm 60 when it doesn't really matter what age but 70 when I look back 
will I regret not trying? Will I regret not doing this? And I guess depending on the decision, like obviously his was starting a company. And because that's such a big risk, like you have to consider if this works or not, would I regret not trying? Mm. That's kind of what you're asking yourself. And I guess the same is true for starting like anything new. You're, you're trying to, because we normally look for like the immediate reward, i.e. the bonus that's coming up or the fact that, I don't know, we're going on holiday and maybe now's not the exact right time to start, but realizing that there'll never be a right time to start and you'll probably always wish that you'd started earlier. I think that's a big difference. Um, and the whole way that I, I coach as well is trying to get people to realize that it's not about putting your life on hold. And I guess that that's kind of sounds like what it was for you that clicked mm. instead of like kind of yo-yo dieting and your weight fluctuating because you were really rigid for a period of time and then went back to the normal way of eating and then really rigid, which is what most people do throughout their whole life. Like fully accepting that this is a lifelong thing. I'm not putting my life on hold. I'm living my life as best it can be, but I'm making some adaptations, like some changes so that I lose body fat or so that I'm becoming more healthy or so that I'm incorporating exercise into my life. And that switch in mindset is how you get long-term results. Not seeing it as this is a six week diet. This is an eight week diet. Exactly. And I did, I guess I was kind of foolish because I thought, and I would train so hard. And I remember when I first started my mag, my, one of my first magazine jobs, I was offered a personal training session with like one of the big London personal trainers, gym in Barclay Square, was given a program and went to the gym every single day for 18 months doing the same workout, which I know is going to make your teeth itch, doing exactly the same, no, not really progressing at all, anything, but my... <laughs> not increasing weights, nothing, but my, um, my body completely changed. And I did get to the point where I got so tired that I just thought I'll relax for a bit and I'll stand. <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to say this because it just makes no sense. And I like science. I just thought, oh, it'll be fine. I, this is how I am now. This is just once you're thin, you're thin. <laughs> and it's just, obviously that's not the case. It is Yeah. And I think work. when you look at yeah, when you look at people who you think are quote unquote naturally thin mm-hmm. or just anyone who you see who's in shape and you really look at their behaviors, you see that their behaviors are in line with the way that they look. Like whether that be, you know, you'll see people that are thin but don't seem to exercise much, don't seem to watch their diet much, but they probably move quite a lot during the mm-hmm. day. They're probably the kind of person that doesn't sit down. And as much as it looks like they don't eat a lot, you probably notice that they're not that interested in food maybe the hunger levels aren't as high maybe they do have a pizza every Friday night but they're not eating a full pizza every Friday Mm. night you know like there isn't any secrets here I know that most people think oh you know I'm the always one watching my weight and I'm still overweight and this person never watches their weight and they're lean it's probably because they're moving more like that's a huge aspect just throughout the day like moving a little bit more and, and generally eating a little bit less even if it's not like the quote unquote best diet it still comes back to energy balance. So I think that's often something to remember. Like I, I have had discussions like this and normally I just let it like slide, but I met someone in the gym at like six in the morning. I used to always go to the gym at six and they were like, oh, you're so lucky that you're, you always just stay in shape. And I was thinking, where do you see me every morning at six? Like in the gym, like it's not luck. Look at the behaviors of people, what, like what people are doing that's that's what's getting them results so it might seem like easy to them because it's become just part of what they do part of their day part of their life 
but it's still the behaviors that are creating the results. Mm. And I think also uh, sticking to any kind of goal, you kind of touched on it a minute ago, whether it's eating a certain way or working out to a certain uh, program, is it kind of gets a bad rap for being joyless. But I don't necessarily think that's true. (laughs) Yeah, I completely agree. And I think one of the biggest like myths or things that people think that they need is motivation. That's always the question. Like, can you give me motivation? How do I get motivation? And there's two things here like most people don't have motivation when they start it's about starting like actually what gives you motivation is starting to see results starting to feel better starting to actually reap the benefits of what you're doing that's the most motivating thing Mm. but realistically no one's motivated all the time so it's just about it being a consistent routine and exactly what you touched on if it is joyless if it what like if it was a horrible thing to do if you're doing something that you really don't enjoy and like I touched on before like if you're hating yourself into change you won't keep doing it so you have to enjoy the process because essentially this is cheesy but the process is your life you need to incorporate this into your life that's a t-shirt Emma that is a (laughs) t-shirt and sometimes like this is really cheesy as well but like a good analogy for that is if you're you know, if your journey, if you will, is a road trip and you're always waiting to get to that destination or what you were talking about, like having a happy weight or not feeling happy until you get to that weight, And you're almost like delaying your own happiness and pausing your own life until you think that you've got to this end goal. You've, you've wasted the road trip because the road trip was the journey, right? The Mm. whole point in a road trip is you enjoy the journey when you get to the destination, that's actually the end. So mm-hmm. you have to start like enjoying the process and diet and exercise doesn't have to be horrible. You can find exercise that you enjoy. There isn't really a secret formula for the quote unquote best exercise. If you don't like hit training, don't do hit training. If you hate running, don't run, find something that you do enjoy and start doing that. And then it just becomes a much easier process and you don't resent going to do these things. I feel like the majority of my questions are just your Instagram posts that I've written down onto the pad in front of me. But one of the things that you said, which you touched on just a minute ago uh, online, is about mastering delayed gratification. And that for me is another one that makes me just want to punch the air because it's so true. It's almost, and it's an it's an adjunct, but uh, people who listen to this podcast or who follow me on Instagram will know that I struggle with, or had was struggling with hair loss issues. And when I started the protocol, pretty much I was told, please don't look for any results for three months. Please don't look for any regrowth really for three months. And then, then, then let's look at it. And I feel it's the same with any kind of health shift as well. If you are making some sort of diet change and I've signed up for all of those classes and I've been to them before where your first week you get quite a good weight loss, you, you drop a, you know, four or five pounds in that first week when you sign up to something like, I won't say the brand name, but I'm sure people can guess. Um, and that's what get, that's what really excites you. But actually, it's about that downward um, trend and actually just keeping your eye on that rather than about those sort of very short-termist sort of losses in the first instance or in the first flush of it. Yeah, I think I genuinely think in, in everything in life, if you can delay, if you can get on board with kind of mastering delayed gratification, you'll be successful Like in like almost any area. The same is true with things like, I mean, like growing a podcast, you're not going to like, it's very unlikely your first podcast is going to just blow up. Like it's about consistently doing it Mm -hmm. and doing it even when it seems like it doesn't really, isn't really going in the right direction because you know, you know, that actually doing more of them 
is going to eventually mean that your listenership grows Mm. but you might not see the initial results from your the effort that you're putting in and the exact same is true with with fat loss and I think the only way that I've managed to get my head around it a little bit is kind of to lean into that same with hard things because most hard things have a bigger reward most things that are hard and require delayed gratification are things that I actually want to achieve that I actually care about so Mm -hmm. that could be like studying at university and getting a degree that could be losing weight that could be getting in shape I mean building muscle is one of the biggest ones because it's really hard to see results and you're not going to increase your strength every single week and you're probably you know after a pretty finite period of time if you've been consistently resistance training for say a year you probably can't see results month on month let alone week on week which is what most people want Mm -hmm. so you really have to just in a sense trust the process okay I know I'm doing all the right things I know I'm sleeping enough I know I'm getting in my resistance training I know that I'm fueling my body properly and I know that I will be building muscle but I can't see it and that's the key do you know, I'm so glad you said that because and I've talked about this when I've addressed this on the podcast before. I used to think if I can work out every day, then it's literally like before and after. So before I think if I can work out every day and that used to be running for me. So it'd be like, and I'd have to get up early because even though I know scientifically you don't burn more calories, depending on the time of day that you work out, there was something a little bit more holier than now about working out first thing that made me feel it was more efficient. And then when I kind of addressed the bigger issues and decided to move forward, I just kind of, I did the bro structure of I'm going to do legs on a Monday. I'm going to do upper body on a Wednesday and I'm going to do my core and back on a Friday. And I will trust that because I'm doing those things, I'm lifting weights. I know I'm working those muscles I will trust that that is enough. And the old me would have gone, that's only three, that's less than half the week. Yeah, yeah. I just, again, as you said, I just trusted the process and thought, let, I'm going to try and take my neuroses out of this and just trust the science of it. Yeah, I think that that is something that a lot of people fall into and in, that more is better in many facets of life, but like, especially with exercise, they're like, oh, right, if, if one workout is good, then working out every day is better or what if I do two a day? Cause I could just about fit that in. You're like, no, 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 no. If you think about exercise as a stimulus and then your body has to adapt to that stimulus, it needs time. It needs energy. It needs protein. It needs like rest and recovery so that you can train again. And really that's what fitness is. That's what building muscle is. You're creating some kind of stress on the body and then allowing it to adapt so that the next time the body is under that stress, it's better able to deal with it. That's the whole emphasis of exercise. So if you're stressing the body to an extent that it can't actually recover from that stress, then you're going to be going backwards or you're just sort of wasting your time. And I, I like, I've definitely done this and it's one thing saying it and it's a, it's a different thing actually like living it, if that makes sense. Cause even though logically I know that, and I know that the science supports that and anecdote would support that, but when you're training six days a week and you're like, I need to cut this down to three or four. And, and actually, I think I was training about 10 times a week. This is when I worked as a personal trainer face to face. So I could get sessions in all the time. And I was like, more is always better. And I cut it right back to five sessions. And I noticed absolutely no difference in my physique. And I had so much more energy. And it took a little bit of time for that 
energy to increase. And I didn't realize that I didn't have much energy because I was like, well, my training seems fine. Like I don't, I don't feel that tired, but it's funny because when you've always lived being a little bit or for a long time, being a little bit tired, that's Mm -hmm. your norm. So if you, 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 I think a lot of people are like, they're training a lot and they they kind of think, oh no, I've got good energy levels, but it's only good in comparison to what you, what you deem your norm. And if that's just become your norm, then, you know, like you've had this like lower barrier. So that was quite interesting, but yeah, I would definitely recommend if you are doing that amount of exercise, not, not to do it unless maybe you are like, if you're an elite level athlete, fine but I think what people miss and sometimes I'll have this discussion with clients is they're like well CrossFitters train 10 times a week so surely I can I'm like right but what do they do outside of that because you have a job two kids and you know loads of other things going on they literally live and breathe CrossFit so when they're not training they're recovering Mm -hmm. they go to bed at nine o'clock every night they don't have kids waking them up all night like it's such a different lifestyle. And if you want to train that much and adapt to it and recover from it and get results, you also need to really be prioritizing what you're doing outside of those workouts as well. Like they don't drink alcohol. They're always in bed by nine. Like they, they're going and getting massages. They're doing active recovery. Like all of these things are ticking all the boxes because they're essentially elite athletes. You're not doing that because you just want to lose some body fat and feel your best. You don't need to go to that extreme. Mm. And I guess that's another thing where people fall like go off track a little bit and and can only stick to things for a short period of time because as you said like I tried to exercise every single day and it wasn't sustainable Mm. it just isn't and even if it was a work commitment I remember I remember vividly my editor coming up to me at my desk years and years and years ago saying oh could you interview so-and-so from the bill but it needs to be at television center tomorrow at 9 a.m and I just went I'll be at the gym (laughs) how rude of me but I just thought well I can't make that work because I can't get my workout in first the gym opens at six nights there's no way I'm going to be able to get there in time and I but that's how much I had prioritized it because I thought if I don't do it even missing one day was was me then almost deeming it a failure and I guess actually that's an interesting thing to talk to you about it's like the failure mindset because I know you talk about the mindset a lot in your coaching. And I know that you've said that with the coaching that you do, yes, uh, weight loss might be or fat loss might be a part of it. But actually the bigger wins for you as a coach is when you see someone's mindset change or when they say to you that their relationship with food has changed for the better. And I saw a lovely testimonial actually the other day that really made me smile where, that, where that I think it was a lady said, it's not about the pictures. It's not about what you can see. It's about what you can't see that's really changed. Yeah. And I think what was incredible about that is she had had pretty incredible weight loss. And this is the thing that people maybe don't understand when we talk so much about mindset change, that's usually what's caused the weight loss. And it's usually because almost exactly what you've just said, and instead of thinking I've had, you know, I've missed one workout, what's the point in doing anything? Or I had, I went over my calories one day or I ate something that, you know, I hadn't planned to eat. There's no point in even continuing. I'll just like you know we call it like falling off plan or something but even that I'm trying to get away from because I'm like there isn't a plan to fall off this is the whole point but it's the notion like I guess that's the problem right you feel like you've fallen off plan Mm -hmm. and then you think well there's no point anymore and this is why I try and instill like this imperfect action like actually 
it's not it's never like the barbecue where you overate or the night out that you went on or even like even the holiday where you overate for a week it's never that that's impacted your long-term fat loss it's your response to that it's coming home and then thinking I've put on five pounds that you know what I can't even be bothered with this anymore I'm just going to continue the way I am and then a couple of months later you realize you're unhappy and you start again instead of just being like right I had a good holiday I ate too much I'm moving on or if you do overeat and you didn't mean to reflecting on it being like okay why did I overeat was I tired was I hungry was I emotional did I leave it too long between lunch and dinner how can I improve on that the next time I'm in that situation so it doesn't happen again then you draw a line under it and you move on you get back to it and I think that really the key is that response to going off track because everyone will go off track from time to time and it, it like I don't even like using the word off track but do you know what I mean like they will eat a bit more than you'd plan to that's completely fine it's a normal part of life but the people that get results and that mindset shift that's so important is just oh that happened okay it doesn't make me a bad person doesn't mean I failed on my diet doesn't mean I have to start again it doesn't mean there's no point eating well for the rest of the day it just means I made a you know I did something that I potentially hadn't planned to do gonna learn from it gonna move on move on and that's actually that mindset change is what results in weight loss Mm -hmm. you mentioned there about um putting on weight getting on the scales after holiday and it actually made me think about one of your other posts where it's scales and it says irrelevant and I wanted to ask you actually because I dabbled for a little while in some of the and it was never going to suit me but I dabbled for a bit in some of the premises of maybe the more body acceptance side of things which was I remember a friend saying to me don't weigh yourself um just measure yourself or judge it by your clothes and actually the day that I decided I wanted to you know don't want to be doing this when I'm 50 was the day I got on the scale for the first time in a couple of years and yes it was really quite upsetting I was shocked but it told me where I was and it told me how far away I was from where I wanted to be and I found that to be quite useful I know that weighing weighing oneself if somebody is prone to uh, obviously there are, there are people who have experienced eating disorders or who maybe get um, obsessive about it. So I don't want to encourage it, but I also don't want to say that it doesn't have its uses. Yeah, I completely agree. It's such a good point as well, because there is no black and white and it depends on the individual and how they think about things. And I think as a coach as well, it's really important not to, what's the right word like project like either your own experience or your previous clients experiences on other people like you might just see the scales as some data Mm -hmm. and it's useful data and you're completely aware that they fluctuate around your menstrual cycle or dependent on your food volume but yeah you're happy to look at trends over time and that works really well for you someone else might let it ruin their whole day and it's not appropriate for them to weigh themselves It, it completely depends on the person and I think in any case having numerous measures is quite useful so yeah still take measurements especially like waist circumference really important for health so that's a good one to take take progress photos see what you're doing in the gym like I I don't weigh myself anymore not because I have any attachment to the scales but I don't have a weight loss goal I, I don't really have any need to know exactly what I weigh every day or every week it doesn't make any difference to me but a marker that I like at the moment is how many pull-ups I can do And I think that that's quite useful because it's a body weight exercise and it could be how many push-ups you can do. It could be what's your squat in comparison to your body weight, which is quite a nice marker as well. 
but anyway like having performance goals which are in some way related to how heavy you are because there's no way like my in my head I'm just like well if I can do you know as many pull-ups as I can there's no way I can be overweight like it's impossible in, in fact it would be very impressive if I was even heavier and able to do the same amount of pull-ups so either way I've either got really strong or I'm still fairly lean so it just doesn't matter to me what the scales say and I just think that usually they are a good tool and the reason that we still get people to use them as coaches as good coaches is that it allows us to see what energy balance is doing over time so realistically if you're losing a decent amount of fat the scales will go down they will trend down over time and there are certain things that can mask fat loss a little bit on the scales and I think some people are like oh but I'm building muscle and unfortunately if you've got a lot of body fat to lose there's not a chance that you're building muscle at the same rate of which you're losing body fat. It's just a very, very slow process. So although maybe you lost 10 pounds of fat, but it only says on the scales you've lost eight pounds, maybe you built two pounds of muscle. Great. Mm -hmm. So it's masking some, and and that's fantastic. Like if you can build muscle while you're losing fat, but it's not going to mask all of your fat loss if you have a significant amount of fat to lose. So we like to use it just to see you know, if you've been sticking to say 1800 calories for a month and the scales haven't moved down at all, maybe if fat loss is your goal, we do need to either make sure that you're moving more or eating less or drop your calories a little bit. So it allows us some data. It's not perfect. Nothing is, but it's one of like many tools that we use, but now and again, you do find kind of outliers where it's like the scales haven't changed at all. And I'm like, okay, well, show me your progress photos. And I'm like, okay, there's a, there's a huge change here. Like you've definitely lost body fat. And, and usually what happens there is it's just not shown on the scales yet. Like it, it will eventually show on the scales, but maybe you're retaining a bit of water. Maybe there's some food volume there. You know, it, it could, it could literally be anything. And, and I guess one of the other points is just not to overthink it. If you're mm-hmm. ticking all the boxes and you know, you're doing all the right things don't worry too much about the scales but I I agree with you like I think just outright blanket saying to everyone throw away the scales is pretty unhelpful well the thing I think it allowed me to do and I was already well down this path with it I was already quite disconnected from my body because of all of the ups and downs and the yo-yos that I've been doing over the years and so that kind of gave me license I guess to disconnect even further so although it was shocking to then get get back on the scales as I said for me I found it to be really helpful but in your coaching do you do you find that actually that disconnection between what people well the emotional connection with their bodies is somewhat frayed in what way do you mean because in some ways when you're saying that I'm like oh that's that's quite a good thing like if you're like if by disconnection you mean I am me and I do all these things and I have my identity and I'm an awesome person. And I'm kind and I'm intelligent and, you know, I've got all these attributes and I also have a body. I, I kind of think that disconnect is, is quite good. Like who you are and how much body fat you have, they're irrelevant. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Mm. Or what your body looks like, it's not the most important thing about you. It's way down there. So that disconnect, but I don't think that's what you were meaning. No, I guess what I meant was um, the disconnect for me was I had in the back of my mind or maybe even in the front of my mind, because I'm sure a lot of people can relate to the fact that um, I was definitely somebody who thought about my weight, what my body looked like, what I was eating, food, et cetera, a lot. Like it took up a lot of my mental capacity. My actions didn't support any of those wants or desires. And And I guess I was kidding myself because the disconnect was my behaviors weren't matching my intentions. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. I think that happens a lot just generally as well. Like Mm -hmm. even just people saying, this is my value. And then actually it's like, what do you do every day? Do your actions actually align with getting you closer to that? Or are they even aligned with your values Mm -hmm. or your goals at the time? So I think that is, that is really common. And I don't know. I don't know what it was for you, whether it was like weighing yourself for a certain time of life or what that clicking point was. And it seems to be different for everyone. But if you could like encapsulate that and give it to someone. And sometimes it's just like the right message was there all or all along or is there, but you're not ready to hear it. And yeah. like yeah. I, I think I had so this year or last year now, I guess like I went to therapy for the first time. And I think I probably would have benefited or probably more from going like years ago but equally um and a part of me was like oh I kind of wish I'd done this sooner and I get a lot of clients that are like that I wish I'd found you sooner and I'm like I don't actually know if it would have benefited you like maybe but sometimes you have to be in the right place to hear the right message with an open mind mm-hmm. and like what you were saying before about almost being shut off to the fact that it is as simple as energy balance it's not that easy and give yourself some compassion because it is a freaking hard thing to do, but it is that simple. And once you kind of like break down your own barriers and kind of accept that, that is what you need to do. But sometimes you're not ready to hear that. And it's like getting in the headspace to be ready to hear that. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with you. And actually I wanted to ask you a little bit about one of the things that I keep seeing time and time again, is people saying 95% of diets fail, 95% of diets fail. And there's so much information out there that can be used or twisted, dare I say, to essentially like make you think, why bother even starting? But I- Yeah, and I don't, I can't understand what the benefit of giving out this message is to anyone. Like, it's almost just like, well, why even try? Mm. And and how is that helpful? And how is that empowering? And actually, this is quite interesting because- I'm going to murder this because I haven't actually gone and looked at the study myself. But this morning I was talking to one of my business partners, Amelia, and she was talking about this. So that stat comes from one study Mm -hmm. and the study was done um, 
I think on people who had gone to hospital for another reason, but anyway, were obese. And the way that they measured, so all they were given was one diet plan, little plan. So no like follow through, no working with a coach, no like ongoing support, just one plan. They follow up in two years and to have a successful diet, you had to have lost 40 pounds. So part of this is like, what, how are you defining successful diet? Mm. And I, and I, I do agree that a lot of diets fail. And I think we've touched on this, but a lot of diets fail because of the short-term mindset of it, because they think this is a six week program. This is an eight week diet. This is a, you know, I'm on a diet. And often when you like, if you're with your mates, you're like, I'm on a diet. They're like, Oh, when does that finish? And it's like, well, <laughs> the whole point is like, everyone has these connotations. When you hear the word diet, it's like, how long? Well, the whole point is that if you want to maintain the, the the results, you need to keep doing the behaviors. And sure, like you don't need to be in a deficit forever. If you were, then you would waste away. But so the calories will increase, but all the behaviors stay the same. Mm. All the real difference between going from a calorie deficit to maintenance isn't as much as what you think. It's like maybe two pieces of toast or something. Like it's mm. not a huge, huge difference. And actually those messages, like we, we spoke about this a little bit in on Instagram, but a similar message that people are given is that when you diet, you'll just start burning less calories. So there's no point dieting and this whole like metabolic damage notion. And I think that's really problematic as well, because, you know, if someone's ready to change and they're like, yeah, I really want to do this. And then like read the paper and it's like 95% of diets fail. And actually when you cut your calories, you'll just end up moving less. So there's no point doing that either. And then you're like, well, what do I, like, how do I lose weight then? Am I just stuck where, where I am? And that is just hugely discouraging, especially when it's written by sometimes like science, that there is science behind it, but it's just misplaced science. <clears throat> so what does happen when you, when you reduce your calorie intake is often you, re- you respond by reducing your calorie expenditure. So this is why it's called energy balance, because you change one side of that equation, it can impact the other side. And what is useful nowadays is that most people track their steps or have access to being able to track their steps, which is quite a crude measure of your energy expenditure side of the equation, but really quite useful because most of the research on this topic, and some of it's pretty incredible, like it shows that some people, and this tends to be people who are maybe slightly genetically predisposed to weighing more, um, they completely negate their calorie deficit by moving less. So they might be dieting, but then they habitually move less. And if you don't track your steps and you don't notice this, it can be completely subconscious. You might just end up, you know, moving slightly less. And that's been shown to um, completely negate a whole 500 calorie deficit, which is mad. And you see this in like rodent models as well. So if you put all the old mice on the same calorie deficit some of them will lose more weight some of them will lose less weight and it's directly correlated to how much they move mm-hmm. so that's the that seems to be the defining thing now even when you account for that and this is where the myth of metabolic damage comes from there is an element of what's known as adaptive thermogenesis and this is essentially just you becoming slightly more efficient as you lose weight so the headline of you will burn less calories when you drop your calories is true, but it's for sort of three reasons. One, people tend to move less. Two, you're a smaller person. So a huge element, like the biggest part of your total daily energy expenditure for the day 
is what's known as your basal metabolic rate. And that's directly related to how much mass you have to maintain. So how many calories are just expended, just you being you, not moving, lying in bed all day. Now, the smaller person you are, the less calories you need to maintain your mass. That kind of makes sense. So if you used to weigh 100 kilograms and now you weigh 70, your basal metabolic rate will have re reduced. That's not metabolic damage. That's an inevitable part of life. It also um, kind of goes against the or disproves the myth of people who are overweight having a slower metabolism. Actually, normally they have a higher metabolism because there is more of them to maintain. So that happens. And then there is this slight adaptive thermogenesis. And when I say slight, it the numbers are something between 70 and 130 calories a day. So it's not the reason that you can't lose weight on 1200 calories. If you're in a huge deficit, you'll still lose weight. It might be the reason that you need to drop your calories slightly more than someone else. Mm -hmm. And I think that the magnitude of effects is so important to consider. So that's that probably, you know, it's what an apple. It's not, it's not a huge deal. It's not the reason that you can't lose weight. Um, but I think sometimes that's uh misunderstood within the fitness industry and and people kind of get a bit. I think mostly it comes from these low calorie diets and people think that the low calorie diet will impact their metabolism and it won't. The, the reason that you're not losing weight on a low calorie diet is it's so hard to stick to that you're probably overeating at other occasions. The, when you do get um, adaptive thermogenesis, so this small reduction in calorie need, despite the fact that um, your basal metabolic rate, okay, well, I'm going to go back on this. So <laughs> there's a, a good example of this is if we both weighed 60 kilograms, say, but you'd previously weighed hundred kilograms, your basal metabolic rate is just slightly lower than mine. So it's, that's the sort of 70 to 130 calories because I've always been 60 kilograms. So you've become slightly more efficient due to the weight loss. Right. It's not due to the low calories. It's due to the weight loss. So if you're on low calories and you think that you're damaging your metabolism, you're not, but if you've lost a significant amount of weight, you may be slightly more efficient. And that's sort of the difference there. So it's the total weight loss, not the amount of calories that you're eating that would impact your metabolism a small amount. Because I've read recently people saying, uh, saying that they have stopped dieting. And one of the reasons is because they wrecked their metabolism and now they don't burn calories um, or their basal metabolic rate is so low that it's impo almost impossible for them to get into a deficit. And I wanted to ask you about that because I know, obviously, you know your stuff inside out. I don't, is that med biologically, physiologically possible? No. I mean, if you take this to the extreme, that would cure starvation, right? If you, if your body adapted so much that when you dropped your calories very low, it was just able to function on 800 calories without losing weight, no one would starve. Like, so that doesn't happen. There is a small adaptation. And I think this is why that myth won't die is because there's usually in things that keep coming up and up, you're like, there's a tiny bit of science here. So I can't say that that's completely untrue, but it's just the magnitude of effect. That's so important. Like you're looking at probably less than hundred calories, not the reason that you're not losing mm -hmm. weight despite dropping your calories really low. And it always, always is. And I see this genuinely with thousands of women it's always setting yourself a realistic calorie target and sticking to it and that's the difference between yo-yoing at 
1200 calories and getting like substantial weight loss at 1800 calories and enjoying your life so much more. And it's hard mentally because, you know, if you, if you come to me and and you're on 1200 calories or you, you kind of in a way sort of tricked yourself into believing that you're definitely sticking to that long-term. And I say, we need to increase your calories to 1800. And you're like, well, I understand energy balance. That's, (laughs) that's not going to work. It's hard to just trust someone that that is what you need to do. And I think a good way of breaking, like normally what I do is give people a little bit of science and a lot of reassurance, but even your basal metabolic rate at about 60 kilograms is about 140, sorry, 1,400 calories a day. So even if you do nothing, you're burning that. So there's no way that you need to be on 1,200 calories. If you tell me you're also getting in 10,000 steps and you're going to the gym four times a week, like you need to start fueling yourself. And once you start doing that, the weight loss starts to come. So what about this thing? And I'm sure lots of people have heard this and I've definitely heard it of um, if you eat too little, you will stop losing weight. Yeah, I, I guess it's that that same notion, isn't it? And it's just not true. Mm. And a good another good example of this, which I am not condoning and I would not recommend, but there was a man and there's a like a case study on this who decided he needed to lose weight was very obese and just decided he wasn't going to eat for a whole year so he didn't eat for a year yeah I know would not recommend was this was this his idea of I'm just going to let all the energy the energy come off my body essentially right yeah like and I think in this might seem like a weird thing to say but in some ways that's kind of easier like I'm not going to eat full stop because moderation is hard mm-hmm. actually just um, and I'm sure most people who are overweight and have tried to lose weight before like have found that that's quite a hard thing to do so he anyway he was like I'm not going to eat anything now he was under medical supervision and he did get injected with certain uh, vitamins and minerals so that he wasn't I don't know deficient in anything but yeah he lost a substantial amount of weight and was generally fine like you don't adapt to like he, if you've got energy there to lose, if you've got stored energy there to, to lose, then that's what will happen. Like it's still energy balance. So I guess that's just a good example of yes, on a, on a physiological level, you will lose weight if you're not eating very much full stop. You can't eat too little to lose weight on a physiological level. Mm. on a behavioral level completely different story yes mm-hmm. like and that's the difference between like science and coaching like mm-hmm. actually applying that to people because if I put all my clients on really low calories would they lose more weight no they just stop adhering to the calories and that's that's how like that's a behavioral response and just to take any kind of like stigma or shame around that like if you're saying that you're sticking to a thousand calories and you're not losing weight and we know that you're overeating at other periods of time. There's no shame around that. Like I would do the same. You would do the same. Mm. Like it's just a normal human response to over-restriction is over-indulgence. So when you're over-restricting at some point, you will probably overindulge. And the way to get out of that cycle, because normally it is a bit of a cycle. You're like, oh, I stick to a thousand calories Monday to Thursday. And then for some reason I end up overeating Friday to Monday and then I get back on it again. And usually what people do, which is the the wrong approach is I'm going to try really hard this Thursday not to overeat. I'm going to really try and avoid that overeating episode instead of getting to the cause of the overeating, which is the ridiculous over restriction. Mm-hmm. And it's a hard headspace to get into. But once you can take a step back, you're like, right, if I just don't over restrict Monday to Thursday, 
the likelihood is I'm not going to overeat Thursday to Monday. So that's what you need to do to break that cycle. You need to stop the over-restriction because that's what's causing the overindulgence. It is a really horrible, horrible vicious cycle. And my friend Charlotte used to come around to my flat and she would open the kitchen cupboards and she would say, there's nothing in here. And I would say, because I can't trust myself. So if I wanted to eat, I would go to the supermarket and get what I wanted to eat. And it is, and if I overindulged, I beat myself up and it's horrible. But actually another quote you shared, which I love is, and I think it's Kevin Kelly one. It's much easier to change how you think by changing your behavior than it is to change your behavior by changing how you think. And I think that it's really, so good, isn't it? it really, for me, uh, just nails on the head, the different, uh, the difference between how I thought previously and how I think now, where it's like, I'm going to trust my behaviors to get me to where I want to be rather than if I think, think really, really hard and want it really, really a lot. That kind of has been the shift. Yeah. And I think that just encourages, or to me, that quote encourages action mm-hmm. and not, you might know my mindset's not great. I have a, you know, poor relationship with exercise or food or something, but actually taking sometimes if you, you you're kind of delaying taking the action by being like I need to sort my mind, mindset out first and well actually part of like doing these actions is sorting out your mindset so say you're over exercising and you're like right I need to sort my mindset out around over exercising first actually if you just you know reduce your sessions because you know that's what you need to do and you start actioning it that also flips into your mindset I'm not saying don't work on mindset but I'm saying they go hand in hand a little bit there that's like adaptive neurogenesis, isn't it? It's like the equivalent of adaptive thermogenesis. Yeah. Figuring like your brain adapting to your action and the way that your body responds. That's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I mean, is motivation is, is your biggest thing getting people off the roller coaster and getting them onto the steady. Yeah. And it's not a very sexy sell, but (laughs) how I try and, I mean, because essentially I want this to be when someone works with me, the last diet they ever need, the last sort of thing they ever do. And most people who come to me have done Weight Watchers, Slimming World, Keto, like they've tried everything and they've yo-yoed their whole life. And it just seems to them like the next thing. And I'm like, I want you to come at this with a different mindset so that it's not yo-yoing anymore. Like this is meant to be maintainable. It's meant to be enjoyable. And so that's kind of the approach I take is that, I'm trying to sell maintenance. I'm not trying to sell you'll lose X amount in eight weeks. And it's not to say that you actually can't get incredible results in eight weeks, but it's mm-hmm. just this like flipping the mindset of why you're doing it, how you're doing it, and that it's not a finite period of time. It's these are changes that we want you to make ongoing. And this time you're going to be empowered and supported ongoing as well. And you're going to have the education so that you know exactly what you're doing and why it's getting results as opposed to just being like here's a meal plan and then as soon as you get bored and can't stick to that meal plan anymore you're like well no idea how that works or or what was going on instead it's like okay like how are we going to incorporate the foods that you enjoy how are we going to make sure that you can still eat with your family how are we going to make sure that if you're traveling for work you can deal with that because these are things that are going to happen in your life don't again put your life on pause for this period of time because that's only ever going to be a quick fix we have to make sure that it can fit into your life not that you're trying to fit your life around this diet so and and of course like there are compromises as there are to like achieving anything but really that's the mindset that people need to take if they want to maintain their results and get off this on off dieting 
yo-yo dieting kind of mentality there's um there's a different reaction to this kind of conversation that I hadn't been aware of until quite recently and if you're comfortable to go here let's go here but it's about the um the way in which even just talking about health and fitness and the desire to want to lose weight if that is indeed what is uh, appropriate for that individual how that can be quite triggering and how we've I've sort of tiptoed around it by talking about you know the 95% of diets fail because that's something that's being used as I don't want to engage in this stop telling me to do this because I know it doesn't work here's the data um is that a, a, for you is that a relatively new manifestation in terms of people's attitude to diet and exercise because it does it, it feels new to me but maybe that's because I'm not in the industry in the way that you are <laughs> Yeah, I think it's interesting because within my industry and within what I do, I'm not telling anyone to lose weight. Like people are coming to me saying I need some help to do this. And I don't think there are like, I mean, I think there's some potential problems with weight stigma from doctors, although I'd say it probably comes from a good place of I know that if you lose weight, this is going to help your current condition. And that's why I'm suggesting that you do it. Um, but from like a fitness industry perspective like no one's really telling anyone to lose weight like I think it's almost a bit of a straw man argument like I'm not out there being like all of you people need to lose weight like no like people will if they if that's part of their goal great I can help you do that but yeah I sometimes think like who I get the whole cultural norms or societal norms of let's idealize women who are very slim and I'm pretty against most social norms I'm like do what you want and Mm. do you know I don't have any problem with anyone being overweight like who's nothing to do with me it's people's own choices and if they want some help with that and and they want to improve their health I'm obviously that's part of what I do but I do think that sometimes, and especially recently, like when even doctors are given airtime about how fat doesn't impact your health. And that just simply isn't true. Like there's a huge healthy body fat range. There's not, you don't need to be excessively lean. You don't need to, you know, look like a personal trainer or look like a fitness model. No one's saying that, but like the complications of storing excess body fat are very real. And my worry for like really for this sort of body positivity movement or the fat acceptance movement it's nothing to do with how anyone looks like that I don't care about that at all it's more the impact on their health going forward because a lot of the time especially younger people like you won't see the impact on your health now you don't have type 2 diabetes now but these diseases take years to progress and I worry that people will look back and be like well I was told that you know storing more body fat didn't have health complications now I have type 2 diabetes and now I have to deal with this or now I'm at higher risk of cardiovascular disease or like god forbid I've had a heart attack like I just think we need to still be real with with the messaging there and I mean there's different ways of approaching this it doesn't all have to be about weight I mean Mm -hmm. a much bigger indicator of how healthy you're going to be long term is how active you are how fit you are how healthy you are so maybe we focus on that more if you're fit healthy active great let's focus on that let's push that message and make it less about weight and realistically as a byproduct you might lose a bit of weight but that's not the focus but I do I do worry a little bit that people are going to be unaware and kind of have their blinkers on and not want to hear the messages that 
actually storing too much body fat does have health complications and there's really no way around that yeah I've I've got some wonderful people in the Facebook group who I know will skip past this particular episode because they've told me that they do when I talk about um health and fitness and weight in this way but um I, I basically was quizzing one of them the other day and she's so she's so brilliant in how she sort of gets me to see her point of view to be honest like I really enjoy chatting to her and it was essentially you don't know what my health records are nobody has uh, any business telling me how healthy I am based on what my weight looks like to you with your eye and then there's also the other side of it which was um, I had noticed people had started identifying as fat which was completely new to me. And this probably shows my age, but I didn't, I just absolutely hadn't ever seen it as a, a thing as, as seeing it as an identity. It was certainly not something I would have embraced. And when I quizzed another member of the group, they said, because I don't want somebody to call me fat as a negative. So I call myself fat as I identify as fat as a positive. And I, as you say, I fully support their choice to be whoever they are and what have you. But there is always that caveat of, but there is the data about the health so yeah yeah and I don't know if it's just like pulling wool of like I agree with her to an extent like we don't know I mean there are some people who are Mm. also unhealthy it's it's and health is multifactorial and there's mental health and there's physical health but it is undeniable the link between storing too much body fat cardiovascular disease type 2 diabetes risk of certain cancers like there is a lot of data on that. And that's not to say that everyone who's overweight will experience that, but they have a much higher risk. And that's something that, you know, and and it's not like, it's not our place. It's not anyone's place to judge someone on that. But Mm -hmm. I think that people should know just in the same way that if I smoked, I didn't really, you know, like people shouldn't judge me for the fact that I smoke, but I should be aware of the health risks for me. Mm -hmm. So it's not really a judgment thing or a shame thing or anything. It's just, I think people should be aware of, that and it's interesting the that I have noticed that it's become a bit more popular to call yourself fat and in some ways I like that because it it is making the word more acceptable and like Mm. it's not a negative it's not a bad thing and I don't think fat should have all these connotations it's just I have some excess energy cool it's not very interesting but sure like it's one of the many things about me cool yeah I just don't see that as as a big deal and if people want to call themselves fat I don't know if you follow the the fat doctor who's obviously called herself fat mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so she's obviously quite outspoken about a lot of these things um which again I think is quite worrying because she's a doctor so she has that level of authority and trust that people would give and quite worrying messages in my opinion well it's interesting I've just finished reading Jenny Murray's book uh, called Fat Cow Fat Chance and she essentially says that fat shaming is the only form of discrimination that for which there is no penalty that is interesting Mm, because racial discrimination sexual discrimination and any kind of discrimination there are consequences but if you roll down your window and call somebody a fat cow in the street ain't nothing going to happen to you do you think that that is because it's, and I'm not saying it is or isn't, but do you think that's because it's not seen as a choice? Sorry, it is seen as a choice. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the stigma, isn't it? I think, and because there's a lot of science that backs that up, 
is you can't change your sexuality, you can't change the color of your skin, your ethnicity, but you can have an influence, shall we say, on uh, your weight. But it's much more complicated because as we've discussed, if and as I have experienced, like I cannot tell you, I'd wake up every morning hoping from the age of nine, every time I, on my birthday, every time I blew out the candles on my birthday cake, my wish was to be thin. So <laughs> it has occupied my thoughts and feelings for such a long time. So I, I absolutely know what it's like to have someone comment on your weight in the street and almost want to say, it's not my fault because I genuinely am thinking about it a lot and I want it so much. It's not happening. And it was it was arming myself with information. And again, as you said, taking a step back from me and just looking at it almost objectively that was a, that yeah, was how I was able to get perspective. There are loads of like, and not, none of this stops you losing weight, but it doesn't. It's like it's privilege of having like certain genes that don't predispose you to putting on weight, um, certain socioeconomic backgrounds that make mm. it easier for you to you know pick and choose your diet and yeah. what food is available to you. And that there are loads of factors that go into someone's weight. And I'm certainly not saying it's anyone's like fault for being overweight but I guess that just that notion that there isn't um there isn't a penalty for that I guess might come from the fact that it's seen as a choice in a way that you know the color of your skin isn't seen as a choice mm. yeah it's, it's really interesting her book listeners and I don't know if you've uh, I think it's only just out recently but it's really brilliant and again it's her journey in uh, emotional eating and having a just a disordered relationship with food and all of it. it's really really fascinating and it just it's really good to have as many voices out there explaining why it can be so complicated because it, it yeah. really is and, and I, I actually really um I I'm really interested in listening to the anti-diet messages and mm-hmm. to you know messages on the other side and to hear I mean not that I'm against anti-diet but just to hear both sides of the argument because actually usually both sides have some pretty valid points and it's somewhere in the middle that the kind of the truth lies do you know it's funny a few weeks ago I had Davinia Taylor on the podcast and during the conversation she said because of her issues with being obese and she said that she felt so terrible and that obesity is a slow death and that generated quite a strong reaction and I was given a lot of reading material by people via dm who would like you need to read this you need to read that and Emma, I am diligently going through every book. So I was told to read Joshua or Woolrick. I have. I was told to read um, What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat by Aubrey Gordon. I'm reading Fat as a Feminist Issue. So listeners, if you message me because you were disappointed, trust me, I'm working my way through those books. But that's and so impressive. And it says so much about you that you're, you know, open to both sides. And I do think that one problem with books is those are all quite biased (laughs) like they're one side of a narrative right and you only and I know this because obviously I've read books before but I remember reading a certain book about this was years ago but it was I think it was called like Sugar Nation or something and it basically convinced me that sugar was like the devil and blah 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 and I remember worse than crack cocaine Emma (laughs) yeah like literally the worst thing ever and I remember my mom just saying but Emma you're not type 2 diabetic and I was like Oh yeah, like you, you you get so lost in like one person's narrative, and this is true often with like solo podcasts as well, where no one's like questioning one thought process. You you're only giving evidence for your own. Like I I very much doubt there's like 
this is like an anti-diet message but actually people who diet also get these benefits and actually like these are the problems with fat with having too much fat mm. and blah, blah so normally they're quite one-sided but then again that's why you read so many books right that's why you listen to people on both sides of an argument yeah which I think and actually the one of the reasons why I was so keen to read all those books is because obviously we're drawn into our own echo chamber we're drawn into the places where we find ourselves and where we agree and those are probably books I wouldn't have picked up had I uh, been left on my own devices so I really really always appreciate my listeners input and it has opened my eyes up has but it's also it has made me think I don't agree with that and that has sort of consolidated my feelings about that so that's fine but I do think it's important to see all sides but I do I I think yeah it's yeah it's been an education it is it is hard but I guess that's how you come up with your own opinion rather than just regurgitating other people's opinion it's Mm. I've looked at both sides from what I know this is what I think at the moment that might change if I keep you know if I'm open to new information occurring and that's that's part of being a good human in many ways that yeah like this is my opinion at the moment but it might change Mm. and that's why I'm really glad I found your feed and that's why I'm really glad to have had you on the show because I really do think as I said right at the top you come from a position of expertise you've obviously studied really hard and you know your you know your topic inside out and back to front but you also really appreciate that the person in front of you who says that they have a certain kind of goal might have a whole a whole load of obstacles emotional invisible obstacles that have been preventing them from getting there first and you actually try and help them step over all of those before you actually get to what maybe they they say they want and then maybe you find that along the way their intention has changed and I love the way you talk about people connecting and sort of you see their self-worth increase when you work with people because actually it's about the accountability they have with themselves and they set themselves a goal and they meet it and it just makes them feel incredible and the results are kind of secondary. Yeah and I think you see this a lot with confidence and people who think that they're more confident because they look a certain way like you might feel more confident now because you've lost weight but it's probably less to do with how you look now and more to do with you struggled with something your whole life and now you've achieved it and like how proud of yourself are you how much confidence does that give you that you have said that you're going to do something and then you showed up for yourself and you followed through and you did it that's what gives you the confidence it's less like the weight loss is like always a byproduct to really what you're achieving and so many people just attribute it to oh I lost this weight and now I'm so much more confident Do you know what's funny? For a long time on Instagram, you would only see me from sort of here up. And then gradually the camera would pan out a little bit. And people people started asking me, oh my gosh, you've lost weight. But actually most of the messages I started to get and probably still get is, you just look happier. You just look more confident. And you're totally right. It's about the fact now my kitchen cupboards aren't empty because I don't distrust myself around food. And I all of those things it's about um yeah that yeah, like not about the, the number on the scale bit. yeah yeah like the fact that you can have food in your house and not feel like it's you know that you're always thinking about it and I guess you've been speaking a lot about how much weight impacted your thoughts from the age of nine and now like how much more brain power do you have that that's not always at the forefront of your mind that you have you know all this all the rest of those thoughts now to fill up with in much more interesting things like conversations with you (laughs) yeah okay will you let listeners know where they can find you and um 
because they can sign up for various courses but you're also just your instagram and your um what's the <laughs> sound like a pensioner now your internet address that's it <laughs> My internet address is <laughs> esgfitness.co.uk and my Instagram is at esgfitness. It has been such a pleasure to chat to you. I could chat to you for another five hours very, very easily, but let's not do that to our listeners on this <laughs> first. You, you just have to come back. It's been such a treat to chat to you and listeners. Obviously, the links will be in the show notes, but thanks so much for joining me, Emma. It's been a joy. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time hugely. If you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode, then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. You have to answer a couple of questions, but we cannot wait to see you there. Come over and join the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.